This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, everybody, to episode 14 of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as usual, is Brian Com. Hi, everybody. Oh, man, episode 14. The season's going by so fast. So fast. We're like, you know, seven weeks away from the playoffs in some leagues. Oh, my goodness. I guess there's going to be that Olympic break, so that'll be a bummer. But yeah, it seems like it was just yesterday that I was looking at the free agent list and saw, ooh, Kyle Ocposo. I guess he's playing with Tavares. Maybe he'll be a smart pickup. And now here we are. Yeah, similarly, it feels like just yesterday that I was so disappointed in David Dayharney and Roman Josie and Jordan Stahl. But now they're all good, and unfortunately, I only have two of the three still on my roster. That's a shame. Yeah. Yeah, you dropped Josie, I remember. And then you picked him up. For one game, and you dropped him, and that was like right before he really heated up. Big mistake. Or didn't even heat up for that one game that you had him? Yeah, no, he w- I think he was good for me, but now I have Tobias Enstrom and Kimo Timonen doing not a whole lot for me. But I think one day they will. I hope so. Well, especially for Enstrom, because I have him as well. But speaking of our players, how's your team doing, Brian? Well, I'm sad to report that the Flamingos finally dropped down to second place, out of first place. But this week in my matchup, I'm up 11 nothing, and maybe, you know, like seven or eight of those categories I've got locked down. couple more up for grabs with some marquee players still having games on Sunday. But my key performer so far, Darcy Kemper, keeps killing it. He's 2-1-0 with 1.96 goals against average, a 9.32 save percentage, and 82 saves. My favorite, well, not my favorite, but somebody who I'm proud to have on my team based on our prior discussions is Mark Scheifele. Two goals, two assists, plus five, a game-winning goal, and 10 shots on goal. And his teammate Blake Wheeler was not so shabby either. He had a goal, four assists, and a plus five. Is this in four games? No, actually in three games. Holy cow. Yeah, the Jets are really rolling right now, and I'm feeling pretty good about it. So then wouldn't you think that Tobias Enstrom must have a bunch of assists on all these goals? Well, we're getting there. He had one assist, but it did come on the power play, six shots on goals, and... (sighs) five blocks but somehow was a minus one even though both those guys were plus five so he continues to disappoint sad yeah and i also had james van Riemsdyk, who we talked about bouncing back lately he had two game winning goals for me and 18 shots on goal and also good weeks from uh, my stars tyler sagan and eric carlson although patrick kane was once again absent for me so i had a lot of guys doing their jobs really well this week and that helped Wow, 11-0. That's amazing. If you win this matchup, I assume you're going to jump back into first place? I actually won't. First place has a pretty healthy lead and is doing pretty well in their week, too. And I can't even take all the credit for my week right now because 
I mean, if you look at the guys on my opponent's team who are struggling, he's got Nicholas Backstrom, the centerman, who has a very uncharacteristic zero goals and zero assists in a minus two, only seven shots on goal this week. Mike Ribeiro has no goals, no assists, and only one shot on goal. And Chris Stewart, who we talked about lately on the podcast, zero goals, zero assists, minus two, and four shots on goal. So three slumping players have really helped me win the week the way that I have. Well, I'm sure your opponent is still happy overall with how Backstrom has been doing this season, but obviously sucky when he takes a week off. Did not show up when it counted. How about your team? Did they (laughs) show up this week? When they play the Flamingos, that's when it counts. The rest was just practice. Another good week for the Toronto Chalupa Batmans. No, people, this is not a rerun. It's just happening every week. I can't help it. I wish I could tell you something new. I'm up 6-1 to right now. The only category I'm losing is save percentage, which I lost when Varlamov decided to let in three goals in the last period of yesterday's game against Nashville. If it wasn't for that, I would be up 7-0. Oh, that was terrible. It was all in like the last 12 minutes and didn't affect the outcome of the game. So Nashville really could have just not scored and been fine. It would have been nice. But yeah, the win was still very helpful as I won and wins 5-4. Actually, my goalies this week, I want to say, have been amazing. Five games played, five wins, Niemi and Varlamov. And I almost didn't win that goalie category because my opponent had also five games played by her goalies and she won four of them. And the one she lost was Jonathan Quick yesterday against Detroit. And I don't know if you've heard, Brian, about this controversial goal scored by Detroit in the last minute. I have. So I benefited from some luck, but I'll take it. Because then Detroit won in overtime, and Jonathan Quick, who's having an amazing return, by the way, should we just say Jonathan Quick is back, and he is as good as ever. Yeah, no question. I don't think he was ever at risk of being supplanted, despite great performances from Martin Jones and Ben Skirvins. I guess it shows us that the Kings system is really good, but also I think Jonathan Quick is pretty good too. Mm -hmm. So aside from my goalies, I have to also mention yesterday there was this game between San Jose and Tampa Bay. Two of my fantasy players decided to do all the scoring. Martin St. Louis, four goals. Joe Pavelski, three goals. I got seven goals in one game. Seven of the nine goals scored in that game, too. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. So I'm up 19 to 10 in goals right now. I'd be up by two even without that game. But obviously now I have that locked down. The only category that I might still lose is shots on goal. I'm up by five. and My opponent has four players playing today to my one. Though my one is Martin St. Louis, as Tampa Bay is having this five-game week, which has been great for him. Another four goals. Yeah, that would be nice. Well, actually, at this point, just as long as he gets a lot of shots, I think that's all I need. One interesting thing, though, is Tampa has had five games this week, which we talked about last week. And if you recall, we suggested people should maybe pick up some of these people on Tampa. Someone who hasn't really done much is Andrej Palat, who I'm pretty sure is the one we said that you should grab. I think that's the name that we threw out the strongest. He has no points so far in the four games. Yeah, that is disappointing. I mean, obviously, they couldn't all do well. And I wonder if the heavy workload weighed more on certain players than others like you know St. Louis had no problem he's a pro and everyone's seen his legs and how fit he is and actually another player that I considered picking up at the beginning of the week and really I'm I'm glad I didn't was Nikita Kucherov have you heard of this guy yeah I see his name floated around a rookie on Tampa Bay yeah you know he he put together like a mini four game scoring streak at the beginning of 2014 he had three goals and one assist on 14 shots on goal But this week, he really hasn't done anything. And I guess 
if you're still in the Keeper League, the name Kucherov might still be of interest of you, even though he doesn't really have the numbers yet to be really fantasy relevant. But by all accounts, he has the skill. Uh, He has seven goals and three assists in 26 games since being called up from Tampa Bay's AHL affiliate in Syracuse back in late November. And yeah, you won't get consistent production from him, but he does get a lot of shots on goal and he has really good possession numbers. And I think both of those things make him someone to keep an eye on long term. But during this five game week for the Lightning, he sort of came up empty along with Palat. So Brian, I have to say that last week I did something that I promised I would never do. And that was go against your advice. And it actually worked out for me. Because if you recall last week, you suggested I should get Palat. And the player that I would drop would be Cody Hodgson, who was coming off the IR. You said, don't worry about Hodgson. He's on Buffalo. They suck. I thought, okay, you know what? I traded for Hodgson a few weeks ago. He's been on my IR the whole time. Let's put him in my lineup, at least so I could say I've played him. Unless he does really well, I'll just drop him and pick up Palat for the strong week. And his first game back, he had one power play assist, which won the power play points category for me, or helped win the category. So I decided, let's keep him in another game. The next game, one goal, one assist. The next game, a goal. Yesterday, a power play assist. Cody Hodgson is on fire. He's got five points in four games since his return. So he's now sticking in my lineup. And you have a bit of egg on your face. Is that the right saying? Yeah, I do. No, that is the right saying. And I I admit it. I think maybe I paid too much attention to like his last 15 games and not enough to what he was able to do last season. But I still am generally wary of him. Remember at the time you traded Mark Scheifele away for him and Scheifele has done just as well, if not better. So I think that's really the comparison to go with. And also, I think it's worth noting that in three of his four games since coming back, Hodgson has only had one shot on goal. Right. So are you suggesting that this production is unsustainable? I guess over a point a game is almost by definition unsustainable unless we're talking about John Tavares. No, I give Hodgson and you full credit for what he's done. And I'm really curious to see how long he keeps it up for. I'm not going to say he won't. I lean towards he won't. But hey, I'm all for it. I like watching players succeed. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting. I actually have a player on the IR right now, Evander Kane. And when he comes off, I'm going to have a decision to make because Hodgson is still sort of one of my fringe players, believe it or not, on the stacked team. I'm not sure if it's going to be him, or I don't even know who else I would drop. Scott Hartnell, maybe? Radim Verbata? Martin Hansel? It's crazy to drop one of these guys. Maybe I'll just leave Evander Kane on the IR until someone else gets injured and then flip him. Or try and trade two for one. The thing is, I'm ahead by so much in my league that I feel like people don't really want to help me out. Probably not. That's the the danger of being at the top is people are weary. They, they, they realize that you know what you're doing. And so if they agree to do anything with you, then I think they assume that they're doing something wrong. Right. Yeah. It's like if you have nine points in a game of Settlers of Catan, no one's going to trade you or makes no sense. Excellent analogy. <laughs> okay, well, let's move on to some listener questions. We requested questions on Twitter which is at Keeping Carlson, by the way. You could follow us on Twitter. We tweet about fantasy hockey, believe it or not. You could be our 51st follower. Oh, man. Yeah, why do we have so few followers? I haven't read the books or taken courses on how to engage and and promote our brand via social media. Yeah, we need a SEO expert on our team. We need some help leveraging. <laughs> we also asked for questions on Reddit, the Fantasy Hockey subreddit. And, of course, we have our email address, 
keepingcarlson at gmail.com. So if you're listening and you're like, I have questions, why don't they answer my questions? You have to send them to us first. And you could do that in one of those ways. But okay, let's start with Reddit. A few great questions about some star players who maybe aren't performing up to what one would expect or hope. Let's start with Act 1, Scene 1, who asks, Stepan, what's the deal? It's weird that on the Rangers' recent run, Stepan hasn't been one of the key contributors. And I guess that's what Act 1, Scene 1 is is asking about. You know, until Saturday against Ottawa, he was goalless in 13 straight games. And he's really fallen off hard since romping through November with 12 points in 15 games. He only had 11 points in his last 23 games, and that includes three against Ottawa. And he's even gone, you know, three or four games between scoring a point a few times in that span. He still has good possession numbers, though, and he's playing top line, even strength and power play minutes. But as Act 1, Scene 1 elaborated in an edit, his shooting percentage is pretty low. If he was shooting at his career average, Stepan would have about six more goals than he does right now. So while we saw him score at an unsustainable pace back in November, it seems like now we're seeing him not score at an unsustainable pace. So don't give up on him. Keep playing him. I think he'll come around just fine. All right. Well, also, Aklan Sinwan asked about P.A. Parento. So he's coming off the IR soon, and he wants to know if he's going to fit in nicely back into the Colorado lineup. Would you tell people to start looking to grab P.A. Parento now that he's coming back into the fold? It's a good question, and it's one that I'm asking, too, because I own him in my fantasy pool. He's on my IR right now. And to be honest, with him on my IR, it's been a little unnerving to see the abs do as well as they have without him, especially considering how much he was struggling before his injury. He had just seven points in 16 games before being put on the IR. So I'm hoping he can jump in and produce along with the rest of the team right away. You know, if Cody Hodgson can do it, I think that maybe Parento can do it too. Uh, Well, Parento definitely will be coming back to a team that has a lot more scoring ability than Cody Hodgson did. The question is, does that mean that he gets no time because his team is scoring fine without him? Or does he just take advantage and get assists on all the goals that they're scoring? Right. And I hope they haven't just decided that everything's working fine and he ends up in like a bottom six role. I, I think he'll be fine and move back up in the lineup. Yeah, that would be a real disappointment considering how well he did last year. It's been a bad year for Parento. You'd think he has to bounce back. I remember earlier this year, a guy in my league dropped him, and then you and I on our podcast made fun of him and said, you dropped P.A. Parento? It's P.A. Parento. And now his percentage owned on ESPN is 37.6. So I guess my friend, the Toronto Slippery Hooker, isn't the only one to have made that move. A lot of fair weather Parento owners out there. Okay, let's move on to a four-part question by Kuval31. Thank you for the multiple questions. Number one, when is Victor Fast coming back, and how well do you think he will do? Well, for part one, come on, dude, we're not doctors, but Brian, tell us what you've read. I don't know, you you had a pretty good handle on Rocky Mountain Fever. Why wouldn't you know this? (laughs) What did I say about Rocky Mountain Fever? I said it sounds bad. Shane Doan has since come back and done pretty well. Yeah. And as for fast, I don't know when he'll be back. There hasn't been a whole lot of updates lately, especially official ones. I think he's still week to week. But I think, you know, the Ducks have done just fine without him, which is bad news for him and his owners. And I think Hiller is finally the clear number one. 
So I think Fast will maybe get time to give Hiller a rest as the playoffs approach once he gets healthy. Uh, but I don't think he's going to necessarily be that 1B option that he was before he got hurt. Right. And also just yesterday, Anderson played a game and he won. So Anaheim is very strong in net. Maybe could you imagine a trade happening? One of these teams that needs a goalie, maybe Anaheim will be a place that might be selling. Well, I wonder actually if this ties in with Kuval 31's second question. All right, well, let's get to that then. He asks, what do you think of Philip Grubauer? You covered him about three weeks ago, but can you endorse him more fully as a worthwhile pickup? I like how he asks, can you please endorse him more fully? So he wants to pick him up. He just needs a little bit of endorsement. Well, I appreciate how much weight our words carry, but I'm sorry, I can't endorse Philip Grubauer right now. There's three goalies in Washington, and it sucks to have one of those three in a situation like that. Owners of the Carolina goalies will also understand uh, but, you know, once they eventually whittle it down to two, if Grubauer is still there, and I think he will be since Neuwirth is the one who has publicly asked for a trade, he'll get to keep challenging Holtby. I think he's got a lot more to prove before being considered as an NHL number one. But I think he's still a good option if you're looking for like maybe a number three fantasy goalie. I also think that because Neuwirth is the one who's asked for a trade, he's going to get some time so they can show potential suitors what he's got and maximize their asset when they deal him, assuming he's the one that they deal. Right, which is bad in the short term for Grubauer. Yeah, exactly. Okay, the third question from Kuval31. Any thoughts on Nathan Horton's return so far? So just let's go back into the Wayback Machine. Horton was on the IR, and I mentioned on the show, he's coming back soon. What do you think about Horton? Should people be grabbing him if he's still on the free agent list? And I recall you said... Uh, maybe not. You know, he's got a lot of adjusting to do. So now he's been back for a couple of weeks. What do you think so far? Are you happy with your advice? Well, I guess the adjusting part wasn't quite right. We did discourage anybody from really running out to get Horton when he was coming back from injury, but he's done pretty well. He has two goals and three assists and three power play points in eight games played so far this year. And the thing is, I don't know. It's sort of like a chicken or egg thing. I don't know if that's a product of his team Columbus's recent dominant run that they've been on. They've won seven of eight games in 2014. Or maybe he's been one of the reasons that they've been so strong. Uh, but I do know that right now he's sort of in a top nine role on a line with Boone Jenner and Artem Anisimov. But he is seeing plenty of power play time and enough offensive zone starts that he is worth keeping an eye on. I still wouldn't run out to get him. But yeah, I think he's done better than I initially would have thought. Yeah, in case anyone's curious, in ESPN right now, he's 86.5% owned. So it's not as if he made it abundantly clear everyone has to jump and grab him. Some people are still waiting. My league he's taken, and I think the guy who picked him up is pretty happy with him. He also has James Wisniewski, so he's been enjoying Columbus's current streak. I don't really like it that much. I don't have anybody on Columbus. Well, then I hope they start losing. But I don't think they will. I think they're doing really well, and I think they're pretty focused on a playoff spot. And I think they can get it. Last question from Kuval31. Are the Sedins the most highly overrated fantasy players this year? First of all, I really like how the Sedins are basically a group. No one ever talks about just one Sedin. It's like, are the Sedins? So, Brian, speak for two people. Are they the two most overrated fantasy players this year? Well, it's not hard to speak for two people because their point totals are almost identical. Daniel has 39 and Henrik has 40 points in 50 games. They do both have 15 power play points, each exactly with four power play goals and 11 power play assists. Daniel's taking more shots as per usual. 
I wouldn't say they're the most overrated players. I mean, maybe we're starting to see a decline. They are 33 after all. And usually after 32 years old is when, you know, you start to be able to notice a drop off in numbers. Uh, So I wouldn't say they're totally overrated, but I understand where you're coming from. Right. So maybe they're not going to get you the 80, 90 points that you were hoping for. But hey, they're not David Clarkson. (laughs) Next question from R. Kirks. His team is the Kirktown Killers, and he's in a one-year league on Yahoo. And he asks, what's the deal with Nicholas Cronwall? Should I drop him? And he mentions there's a couple of good free agents available, including James Wisniewski and Matthew Carl. So, Brian, this seems crazy to me. Drop Nicholas Cronwall? I would never drop a defenseman who is producing on average over a half point per game. And Nicholas Cronwall is one such defenseman. He has 29 points in 46 games played this year. Yeah, sure, he just came out of a six-game pointless draught. But considering he put up nearly identical numbers last year, I'd expect him to keep being a good guy to have on your roster in most leagues. That said, as Elon said earlier, James Wisniewski is doing pretty well lately. He's on an even better pace than Cronwall with 28 points in 41 games played and has seven points in his last six games with plenty of shots on goal to boot. The biggest difference between them is blocks and hits. So if your league counts them, I'd stick it out with Cronwall. If not, Eh, you could consider Wisniewski if you feel comfortable with making that move. Personally, I wouldn't. But then again, if you look at Cronwell's shot totals, even he's like putting up ones and zeros lately. So it's hard to say. It's hard to stick with players through this sort of thing when it happens. But I think Nicholas Cronwell is probably a guy who has earned your patience. But I wouldn't fault you if you decided to drop him and go with a hot hand in Wisniewski. Matt Carl, I think, is probably the third option. So I won't really get into him. One of those two. Man, like I'd like to know who your other defensemen are. If you're considering dropping Cronwall to pick up Wisniewski, are your other defensemen Oliver ekman Larson, Keith Yandel, Drew Doughty, Duncan Keith, Eric Carlson, and P.K. Subban? Do you have the seven best defensemen in fantasy hockey? <laughs> like, yeah, I think people also maybe don't realize if you're in a points league. Okay, so you don't, there's no defense points like in my league, which is, which I understand. But I think people sometimes underestimate the value of points by defensemen. Since, you know, when they're looking at their final scores, they're like, oh, these are my lowest scoring people. So if I change one defenseman, what's the big deal? You know, half a point per game for a forward is so useless. Why is it so valuable for Cronwall? And I think what people don't understand is that you have to think of the replacement value. So usually you have six defensemen, let's say, in your league. If you were to drop a defenseman getting 0.5 points per game, who would you be able to get instead of him? I guess in your case, actually, it doesn't apply because you can get James Wisniewski. But for most people, usually the replacement defensemen are much more of a downgrade than a replacement forward when you drop a slumping forward. And that's why defensemen are really valuable in fantasy hockey if they can get, like you're saying, like a point five per game clip. Elon, that's an excellent point, and I couldn't have said it better myself. I wholeheartedly endorse everything you just said. All right. Arkirk's also asked a question about Devin Dubnik. So as everyone knows... He was traded last week from Edmonton to Nashville. He had his first game yesterday against Colorado. Not such a hot start. So he asks, what do you think of the goalies Dubnik and Elliott? Let's focus on Dubnik. I don't think I'd be alone in having thought that his trade to Nashville, like a goalie factory, would be really good for his fantasy value. And it actually, I was like, huh, maybe if I didn't trade him back like three months ago, everything would have been okay. Uh, But I guess he proved... That's all wrong, at least to start with. Not a very good first impression. 
Dubnik got lit up. He gave up five goals on 29 shots. So, you know, he's given up five goals a few times lately. That's actually the third time in his last four starts that he's given up five goals. The difference here with this one, though, that makes it even worse is that his save percentage was only 828, which is really like the lowest save percentage he's put up in his last 10 games. So it was really like monumentally awful. It couldn't have gone much worse for Devin Dubnik. Right. So moving forward, do you expect more of the same? I don't know. You have to think if, you know, rookies like Marek Mazanek and Carter Hutton and previously, you know, Dan Ellis and Chris Mason, Ilya Brizgalov, all guys who have sort of tended to do worse away from Nashville. Anders Lindback, you could also add to that list, but did so well in Nashville. You'd think that maybe Dubnik can fit into that system. So maybe, I don't know, once they get settled, I'd still say that this definitely helps his fantasy value uh, by how much is really up to him. Hopefully he can take advantage of it. I would I would bet that his numbers improve at least over what, what he's put up so far, mm-hmm. which, which is not a very daring prediction when you really think about it. Yeah, can't get much worse. And then Brian Elliott, maybe I'll take a stab at this. He had a seven-game win streak a little while back, sort of at the end of December, beginning of January. And he played seven of eight games in that stretch. So it was a seven-game win streak in eight games played by the Blues. So he was getting a lot of ice time, and he was proving himself to be worthy of that ice time. But of course, the reason why he was getting so many games was because Halak was injured. Since then, Halak has come back. Elliot's only played in two of the Blues' last five games, and he's lost both of those games. Yesterday, he actually had a pretty weak game, an 8.57 save percentage. So I think moving forward, you definitely can't expect Elliot to be carrying your team like he was end of December, beginning of January. He's probably back to, uh, at best, split-time situation with St. Louis. And if you remember earlier in the year, Halak was playing a lot more games than Elliot. So I think now's the time to get rid of Elliot if you have a better option. Yeah, and for what it's worth, I think at the trade deadline, the Blues are sort of rumored to be looking for a goaltender, and I think that would probably see Elliot pushed out or maybe definitely serving as a backup behind whoever the person that they bring in would be. Wait, so why would the Blues need a goaltender? It seems like they already have two, even three good goalies in their system with Jake Allen also. Yeah, you know, they've never really, I think, bought into either Halak or Elliot, both of the two have, you know, had really good times and have had really bad times. And I feel like maybe they want someone stable. And, you know, you need someone elite to compete with, you know, LA and Chicago, and all the giants, the titans of the Western Conference. And I think they feel like they don't have that right now. All right, last question of the week. We again really appreciate everyone sending us in your questions. If we didn't answer your question on the show, we definitely either responded to directly or will be doing so soon. But Rob asks via email, keepitcarlson at gmail.com, what are your thoughts on Alex Tangay? He is apparently due for a return soon and was scoring at a respectable 0.7 points per game before his injury, albeit for only 13 games. So that's interesting. We already answered about P.A. Parento and if he'll have a slot on the high-powered Colorado offense. Is there also room for Tangay, Brian? I don't know. You know, he didn't get in enough games for us to really figure out, I don't think, where he slotted in with the Avalanche for sure. He he did have nine points in 13 games, which is pretty impressive for him. But I think the caveat going into the season with him was his age and injury history. And of course, he did get injured and he's been out. 
And I don't know how easy it's going to be for him to just pick up his stick and put on his skates and get right back into things. I wouldn't count him out. He's not someone who's been on my radar, though. And I'm sort of glad you brought him up because now I do remember that he still plays in the NHL. And I'm going to think about his place on the team a little bit harder. Uh, But I think, you know, he's probably going to end up on the second or third line in Colorado when he comes back. And we'll see how much gas he has left in the tank. I know that's sort of a wishy-washy answer, but the truth is I don't know and I'm not going to fake it. The only thing I can really tell you is that I see, you know, his time on ice has gone down a couple minutes this year. He's playing a slightly decreased role on the power play, and he isn't getting a whole lot of offensive zone starts. So you can go a little bit by those. And actually, I should add in, while he was healthy during that stretch that he succeeded, his PDO was really high, which means he benefited quite a bit from a high on-ice shooting percentage, which probably contributed in some way to him being able to pick up six assists the way he did. So I wouldn't expect him to continue this pace. But again, a bit of a wild card, and I can't say for sure. I lean towards not going to be totally fantasy relevant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so high PDO means he was benefiting from luck, basically. Things were going in. Bounces were going his way. So if that doesn't continue, he might go down a bit. Yeah, thank you for clarifying. Okay, let's move on to another segment now. I wanted to talk about players having career years that maybe no one is realizing that they're doing so. So this happened to me earlier this week. Eric Carlson had a great game against Montreal. And since Brian and I both have Carlson, as you know from the name of this podcast... I emailed him, like, all right, Carlson, isn't this so great? And he wrote back, yeah, whenever Carlson and tourists get points, it's really great for me. And I thought, oh, you have tourists? Is he doing well? Then I took a look at his stats. Tourists is having an amazing year. And so that got me thinking, I wonder who else is having a really amazing year that maybe people haven't even noticed. And maybe also I just am not in the know. Maybe Brian would be like, everyone knows that Kyle Tourist is having this amazing year. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts. But yeah, Tourist, for example, has... 14 goals and 23 assists, so that's 37 points in 49 games. His career high in points, well, that is his career high in points, actually. The highest he's ever had before that was 29. It looks like he's never actually played a full season, but if he does, he's going to shatter his record. He's played 65 games before in Phoenix and got 25 points in that year. Brian, am I the one who was not realizing Kyle Turris was doing well while everyone else was? I think anyone following the Senators really closely would have noticed that he has emerged as the number one center. And part of that is because he's the one who ended up surprisingly having the chemistry with Bobby Ryan. Ryan originally was with Spezza on the first line, uh, but it wasn't really working out. And so now the first line appears to be uh, Tourist, MacArthur, and Ryan. And together, they're doing so well. And really, who else is going to challenge for first-line playing minutes right now at center on Ottawa. You have Spezza, who's been really disappointing so far this year. I mean, he does have 32 points in 44 games, which is nothing to sneeze at, but he certainly hasn't been himself. And I think that has been a contributing factor to the large role that Tourist is playing, and he's taking advantage of it. And to think that the Senators just traded away like David Runblad, who's, I think, playing in the AHL right now, and that's all it took to get Tourist is amazing. And hopefully you got him for a song in your fantasy league. I know I drafted him pretty, not so deep in the draft, but like mid rounds. And wow, what a return I've gotten on him. Mm. Yeah, he was drafted by our Sens fanboy in my hockey pool. 
So, you know, I sort of don't pay attention to too many senators since I know, okay, anytime a senator's player scores, I know Zach got some points. I hope Carlson got in on it. The next player on my list for players who are silently having career years is Franz Nielsen on the New York Islanders. Mr. Nielsen has 16 goals and 22 assists for 38 points in 50 games played. So similar numbers to tourists. His career high in points is 47 points a couple of years ago in a full season with the Islanders in 82 games. So he's already at 38 points in half a season. He potentially could end up with 70 points, Brian. And his career high before was 47. So everyone wake up to Franz Nielsen. What's going on? He's not even playing with Tavares. Except he is playing with Tavares on the power play. And I think that's been the key to his success this year. If you look at the way his ice time has been distributed, he's getting about over 60% of his team's power play minutes. And that compares to 40% last year. So that's a big change. And I mean, it's shown up in his numbers. He has 38 points. 15 of those are on the power play. And line that up with his career high, which was 16 power play points about five years ago. And then two years ago, he had 15 power play points, but that was in an 82-game season. So I think that's been good for him. He's also not seeing as much short-handed time this year as he was before. And his shooting percentage is way higher. And of course, we know that that isn't really a skill to have a high shooting percentage. There is some measure of luck in that. So he's doing a lot better than he has in the past on a similar amount of shots. Take, for example, he has 93 shots so far this year. He had 93 all of last year in two fewer games. Uh, Last year, he had six goals on those 93 shots. This year, he has 16 goals on those 93 shots. Hmm. So the reality is probably somewhere in the middle of that. He might not be quite as good as his numbers are showing, but like you've noticed, he definitely is having a career year. And yeah, I'd attribute his shooting luck and power play time as the reasons for that. The last player that I want to mention for this segment of people surprisingly having career years, he's not a surprise for me because he's in my lineup, but Martin Hansel, he's got 14 goals and 20 assists for 34 points in 45 games this year. So similar points per game as these last couple of guys we've been mentioning. His career high is 35 points way back in 07-08. He's always seemed to be getting around 25 to 35 points, but now he's got 34 points, still half a season to go. So he's going to shatter his career numbers. What do you think is going on with Hansel, Brian? Why is he all of a sudden this year doing so much better than he used to? Is it also just due to power play time and shooting percentage? Looking at his underlying numbers, the interesting thing is that nothing really changes. There's no hidden change anyway that we're seeing. In fact, he's seeing a little less offensive zone start time this season compared to last season. So it's interesting that he's doing this. But I think the biggest change in his game is that his shots per game rate has jumped this year by about 25%. You know, he's usually used to take in maybe two shots a game over the course of his career. This year, he's a lot closer to three shots per game with 122 shots on goal in 45 games played. So maybe that's the key because everything else has been pretty static for him in comparison to the past few years. And he's also been someone that everyone's sort of been waiting to break out forever. I think I had given up on him a little bit, but good on you. I remember at the beginning of the year, You were talking about how hot he was and about the free agents that were available. And he was one of the guys that I always sort of suggested that you drop uh, to pick up somebody better. Uh, But no, he's he's held out pretty well so far. Yeah, he's still on my bubble there. 
as, you know, my team gets better and better, it's harder and harder to pick people to drop. But yeah, definitely a nice surprise. I didn't draft him. I picked him up as a free agent a couple weeks into the year. He had a nice start. And I'd say I've definitely been rewarded. You might say you have your hands full with Hensel. Oh, God. Is he the, he's the Hensel to your Gretel. Yes, very good. And then you also have to make a reference to the movie Zoolander, because that's what everyone always says. Whenever you ask about Hansel on the Fantasy Hockey subreddit, someone has to say, oh yeah, he's so hot right now, which is a reference to Zoolander. I don't know if you knew that, Brian. Didn't know that. Oh man, I've been making that joke to you for years. You never knew. That's why I never thought it was funny. Oh. Okay, so that was my segment I just made up. If any of our listeners have any suggestions of players who are silently having career years, and don't say Alexander Steen, okay? We all know that's not a silent career year. But okay, Brian, let's move on. I saw you wanted to talk about something interesting. Tell us about hanging on to slumping players. Sure. I think we're getting to the part of the year where, like we said last week, you know, you're starting to think of playoffs. And I've been faced with a couple problems lately in my lineup where I'm not sure what to do with a player who's slumping. And I'm realizing that being in first place or being in an assured playoff position gives you the luxury of being able to hang on to a slumping player a little longer. Let me give you two examples of players who I might have dropped earlier, but being in a comfortable position, I didn't feel the urgency to let go of them because all I need them to do is have, you know, like three good weeks come playoff time. And if I have faith that they can do that, then they're worth keeping in my lineup, even if right now they're not doing anything. Oh man, I feel like we bring them up so much, but Kimo Timonen and Tobias Enstrom, these mm. are two guys who I'm keeping in my lineup only because I can afford to and only because I really still so much believe that they'll turn it around in time and be there for me when it counts at the end of the year. Yeah, so I guess regular listeners of the podcast know very well about how you're struggling with whether or not to keep or drop Enstrom or Timonen. Can you give any other examples of players who might be slumping now, but people would be smart to hang on to for a potential playoff run? Those are two guys who I'm still waiting to reward me for my patience, but two players who have already rewarded me for my patience, or maybe are just starting to. And actually, we got a question about one of them, actually both of them uh, this week. And so I'm going to start with one. And the suspense, the first one is Mike Richards. He finally scored his seventh goal of the season. He'd gone 23 games straight without scoring a goal. This was only his fourth point in his last 17 games played and his first power play goal in 33 games. Now, for all this lack of production, he's been in my roster and I haven't considered trading him. I haven't considered dropping him because, again, of the position I'm in, I can wait for him to find his game. I don't need to push myself to the top of the standings because that's where I am right now. It's a luxury. And I suggest that everyone take advantage of it the way I am. And so I'm not mad about the way he's been producing. In fact, when he finally scored, he was on my bench because I had a full roster that night. But when you look a little deeper, you see that the Kings as a team, they've scored two or fewer goals in eight of their last 11 games. And sure, maybe Richards is on the extreme low end of this, but it's not like he's being totally left behind by high-flying teammates. And as I did, he's a guy I'd really preach patience for. I still owe him from last year. You might remember Elon when he helped my team hugely as a free agent pickup after his original owner gave up on him too soon. 
Yeah, he can be streaky, but I doubt there are a ton of guys available in your pools, in the free agent pools, who are an upgrade on him. Let's let's just put it this way. He had 42 shots on goal during his goal-scoring draught, and normally he'd be able to get about five goals on that many attempts. So he's still the player he has been for the last several years, and he'll remain on my roster as he should on yours unless you're in a really shallow league. All right, Mike Richards. Yeah, and the other one is Charlie Coyle, who we've lamented a few times on the podcast this season. We mentioned how terribly his season had been going because, you know, there were such high expectations for him that he'd be a reliably relevant point producer. We also mentioned that it seemed like it was only a matter of time and that you should keep a close eye on him for signs of life. And if you followed those instructions, you've probably seen by now that he has nine points in his last 10 games. That's two goals and seven assists. And I think he's worth picking up in deeper leagues. The biggest surprise in all this is that his surge in production has aligned very closely with injuries to two superstar line mates of his, Miko Koivu and Zach Parise. And somehow he seems to have found his game playing alongside AHL call-up Jason Zucker and declining Danny Heatley. So if you've had him on your roster all along, and you were patient like I was, then you're starting to see your reward. And if he's still a free agent in your pool, you really might consider adding him as someone who might just be finding their game at a key point in the season. Yeah, so moral of the story here, if you are at the top of your league and you have a good player who is slumping, don't react too quickly. You have time. Remember, especially if you're in a head-to-head pool, all they have to do is get it together for a few weeks at the end of the year during your playoffs. If you can get there in the meantime with them slumping, then just hang on unless something really tempting comes your way. Okay, well with that, we are once again nearing the end of another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. But of course, we cannot end without Brian's lightning round, where he just tells us about a few players who we need to be keeping an eye on. 30 seconds each. Brian, go. Let's begin with Sam Gagne. He's been one of several disappointments on the Oilers this year. He's on the worst point-per-game pace of his career, with just 20 points in 38 games played. His PDO is pretty terribly low, so that means you can attribute some of this to just not getting the bounces, but he certainly has not taken on the role of a reliable point scorer that his team and pulleys expected of him. As he has for most of his career, he's still only taking about two shots per game on average, and despite getting regular power play time and offensive zone starts, He's been a negative possession player more often than not as of late. If you own him, the positive is that this recap would have sounded a lot worse if it was two weeks ago. In the new year, it's really worth mentioning, he has seven points in nine games, so there are signs of daylight. But as the Oilers continue to sink down to the depths in the standings of Calgary and Buffalo, I wonder how much of an impact he can really have. All right, who's next? Wayne Simmons started the year slumping, just like every other player in Philadelphia. He had only five points in his first 16 games played. And actually, I don't know if you remember, I tried to get him in a trade at that time, but I couldn't. And I guess his owner was pretty smart to hang on to him. He's registered at least one point in 13 of his last 16 games and has four multi-point games in the same span. They all add up to 11 goals and 10 assists, including six power play goals and two power play assists. And again, that's only in his last 16 games. He's occasionally putting five or six shots on goal in one game. And the best part of all this is that he's not even seeing a ton of shooting luck, although his line mates are seeing a little. So I think what we're seeing is pretty sustainable from Wayne Simmons. Yeah, I've definitely noticed the tear that Wayne Simmons is on because I have his line mate Scott Hartnell 
and he's been going right along with him. Hartnell's got five goals and 11 assists in his last 16 games, so he's right along with Simmons, just putting up points at hopefully a sustainable pace. I'm not going to hold my breath on it. But yeah, that Flyers second line is really hot right now. And to finish up, we've been asked to talk about players who are less than 25% owned. So let's take that to the extreme. Ryan Garbutt, he is 1% owned in Yahoo. Elon, what's his ESPN number? 0.2% owned. So that means, what, two out of every thousand people? Yeah. Okay, so he's a real deep sleeper, except, not really, he is the fantasy flavor of the month right now, I think. People are noticing his name popping up in the score sheets, because yeah, he does have six points in his last five games, three goals and three assists, along with 15 shots on goal. But if you look how long it took him to get the six points before that, it was 17 games to get six points before that. And he still has just 18 points in 41 games played this season. He's seeing a career-high shooting percentage, better line mates, and career-high time on ice. So there is a bit of a method to this madness, but not one that I'd bank on long-term. I've got him penciled in for a snoozer segment about three weeks from now. Eh, well, I guess first some people will have to add him before he could be considered a snoozer. But we'll see what happens. So that's going to do it for episode 14 of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. I just want to say to everyone listening, we really appreciate it. We think this is the best fantasy hockey podcast out there, and we're not just saying that to be cute. I really think we're doing a good job, but obviously, it would be great to have some feedback. So if you're listening, send us an email, tell us what we could be doing better. Our goal is to have the best fantasy hockey podcast, and we are humble guys, so don't worry about hurting our feelings. So you can get in contact with us by sending us an email, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. You could follow us on Twitter, at Keeping Carlson. And tell a friend, share it around. We'd appreciate it. Yeah, that'd be cool. More listeners, that'll be fun. We'll get more questions. You'll get more help. It's all—it's a circle of help here. Just obviously you don't want to tell people in your league, because then we're going to be giving away your secrets. But tell people in other leagues. So with that, let's cue the outro music. Brian, why don't you give a shout out to our resources? Sure, leftwinglock.com, extraskater.com, dauberhockey.com, and Yahoo Sports and ESPN Fantasy all help us prepare and research for the show. Yeah, those are great sites. And that's it. That's the end of the show. So thanks, everyone, again for listening. Hopefully you'll have a great week in fantasy hockey. I'm sure I will, because I always do. Brian, I hope the Flamingos do well. Thanks, me too. All right, so talk to you next week. Thanks, Elon. Good luck, everybody.